episode of War Talking Drums is brought to you by Los Cabos Drumsticks, Canada's number one drumstick manufacturer. With 22 models to choose from, you can get the right size, weight, and feel for your playing. Los Cabos Drumsticks. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 37 of the We're Talking Drums podcast. We have a very, very special change of pace here on the show today. I would like to welcome a new team member to the podcast. Please put your hands together for the new co-host, Dylan Gowan. Dylan, what, <laughs> what is going on, my friend? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Uh, weekend's going going okay. It's been a good Saturday until this uh, crazy thunderstorm hit uh, a couple hours ago, and I'm the the power is coming on and off. I wasn't sure if we're going to be able to do this, and hopefully, hopefully, we get through it. Um, but uh, how you doing, man? I'm how, sure. I'm sure we will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we usually do one way or one way or another. We uh, we make it happen, right? So. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, man. So welcome to the show. It's great to have you on board Thanks. here, man. I'm excited. You uh, you you were a guest on the show before, and I knew as soon as we did that episode, I was like, I I want I want to work with this guy more. You know, I, I really want to, man. Uh, you know, we, we've been good friends for a long time and you know what, do you know what was the, the turning point that made me realize like, I got to get you involved was, what was that? What was the, what was the turning point? Hallows die announced that mass will finally be released. <laughs> and that was the point where I was like, okay, now, now we can bring Dylan on board. That so, was that was that the only thing that was holding me back from being from being a co-host was just the the Hallows Die album being delayed by almost a decade. <laughs> yes, yes, that was it. That was it, man. Now I won't lie. Fair I won't lie. I I have gotten uh, a copy of the record about three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was but, so funny though, because you know we've we tracked that album back in 2011. I was about 18 when we recorded it at um, at my house, mm -hmm. and it was really funny how you know we had this whole tour cycle we had this album planned for for months and we're like oh this is great we're gonna do this this and that and then just a bunch of things just got in the way and it just got delayed and delayed and delayed until eventually just during the um the lockdown we just decided why haven't we released this record yet and none of us could give a significant answer going other than we don't know <laughs> So, uh, so, you know, as the saying goes better late than never. And, uh, you know, I look, I look back on that record with a lot of really good memories. It's technically the first album I ever worked on. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm still very proud of it, even though I listen to my parts and going, ah, I could change this, change that. But at the same time, I kind of look at it like it was, um, a timestamp of, where I was at with my playing and, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, I hope, uh, people dig it. Yeah, man. Well, I'll say like, it's a, it is a pretty phenomenal record. And, uh, even 10 years later, I think it, it still holds up, man. I think it still holds up. You know, if you guys released it back then, people might not have been able to understand it. Cause it, uh, it was a little, a little ahead of its time. I'll say what you guys were doing. Um, and I think now is is a good time. And honestly, I don't care. Get it out. Get it out into the world, man. You guys, that <laughs> that that's been too long. Like it's just been a running joke, and you know, it's almost it's almost as bad as the Crimson record. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're we're starting to get to that point where it's becoming a joke. But no, we're we we are working on it every single day. I swear, it's going it's gonna be perfect. <laughs> and it's and it's freaking great because I remember seeing you guys uh, put out some of the the newer material uh, not too long ago, and it's some really really killer stuff. I mean, just you know, I'm always I'm always blown away by your drumming every single time I see you because it just feels like you just get 
you know, like you set the bar so high and then it feels like every single time I see you play, you just reset the bar even higher. And I'm just like, okay, how the hell can this guy get faster at playing, get more creative fills? It's like, nah, man, you got some, you have some really, really freaking killer chops, man. So. All right. All right. Yeah. This is, we're, we're not just going to sit here and jerk each other off all day. All right, man. <laughs> yeah, all yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But first, hold on. Before all of that, I want to just throw out to uh, our other big sponsor, and that is Bubbly. All right. All right. They don't actually sponsor the, the podcast, but I love the, or Bublé, whatever, uh, carbonated water type stuff. And this is a, I'm, I'm drinking the, the, the pineapple. I, I think it's delicious, you know. What's what's the what's the difference between that and Lacroix? I don't know. La- I don't know. I've never had a Lacroix. I've heard. I've heard of Lacroix. <laughs> it's like, is it is that only in the states though, or do we have Lacroix here? No, we have it. We have it here. But this leads me. Some. This leads me to 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 a question that I've that I've, you know, it's a odd question, but I'm always curious to ask. What is your go-to drink of choice when you're on stage? Is it usually like water? Is it Gatorade? Is it a beer? Like, what is it? For me, man, it's it's uh, just bottled water, like not fizzy water, just regular ass tap water, like in a bottle. Yeah, oh, true. That's it. That's it, man. That's it. Beforehand, uh, it's just water, coffee. You know, um, coffee. Yeah. Before I used to have like two beers, um, but never anything within like an hour to two hours before a set um that's responsible very good (laughs) now now man i'm i'm as sober as can be and not drinking and i don't think i'm gonna be drinking even when shows or tours come back or anything like uh life is actually a lot a lot better since i've i've quit so you know uh i think i'll just stick to stick to water and afterwards i'll have a nice fizzy water stay hydrated i love my coffee i love my energy drinks you know yeah so I'm, it's that's it, man. I love my <laughs> my rock stars, you know, living that rock star life. Fair enough. <laughs> I've always been uh, I always have like two bottles of Gatorade beside me. If it's um, if whenever whatever gig that I'm playing, it just feels like I um, like water is always really is always really good. But I just felt like with Gatorade, I kind of just get that that extra kick, I guess, you know, and I base that on absolutely nothing. It could just be a total placebo thing, but, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just works for me, I guess. (laughs) Hey man, whatever works for you, that's what matters at the end of the day. Right. All right. (laughs) Is is that the, uh, is that the theme of the day? (laughs) Whatever works for you. (laughs) Whatever, whatever works for you. I think that's a good way of just living life, man. Whatever works for you. Stop being concerned about, you know, forcing your ideals on other people, man. Whatever works for them, (laughs) whatever works for you, just, just make sure it works though. If it doesn't exactly. work, yeah. then then you got then you have some work to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, it, this isn't just a whole episode of us talking. No, we have an extremely special guest today. He is all the way from Melbourne, Australia. So it is uh, middle of the afternoon tomorrow. There, he is actually from the future. Without further ado, let's bring on Dan Pressland of Neobliviscaris. Dan Pressland, how are you doing today, my friend? Hey, man, I'm doing well, doing well, keeping busy. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm very humbled that uh, you you've asked me to participate. Hey, man, our pleasure, uh, our pleasure, really, man. You are uh, a one of a kind drummer, really, and. Uh, Dude, you're one of the top dogs up there, man. When you talk about tight drumming, your name is uh, definitely top of the list, especially uh, in in my books. So thank you for coming on, man. We uh, we really appreciate it. And, and uh, you know, hopefully we have some good, uh, good chats today. <laughs> cool. Thanks, man. That's uh, very kind of you to say. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. So, uh, what have you been up to uh, last uh, couple of days or so, man? Like, how you doing? How's how's life in uh, Australia treating you? Uh, life is pretty brutal at the moment. It's just um, <laughs> there's no real hiding about it. It's just in and out of lockdowns constantly, and it's uh, it's it's very difficult to manage your life and run a business and try and just 
make decision everyday decisions with um, those restrictions that are constantly turned on and off, just like a tap, it seems. So I just try to keep really busy at home. Um, I've got a studio that I run and uh, try and utilize that as much as I can, whether it's just practicing or, or trying to get bands in when I'm allowed to. And yeah, just the general navigation of, of, of the chaos of the world at the moment. It's, uh, it's really uh, hitting Australia really hard. Uh, it's quite difficult. Yeah, we, we've been hit pretty hard here. I will say that it's loosened up. Um, and like over the past, what, like three or four months, we've uh, loosened things up. But in that turn, like now our numbers are starting to rise again, heading into the, uh, the fall. So like, man, I can't imagine going into another lockdown, but they're saying the fourth wave is, is upon us and you know, it's bound to happen. Right. And I'm, I have like a little home studio as well. So it, it's nothing to the extent of, of yours, but like I'm, I'm booking bands and stuff like that for the fall. And I'm like, shit, like, am I even going to be able to have them in? Cause I ran into the problem where I tracked drums with uh, a band last September. And then I couldn't have them in October through like May. I think we were, we were pretty much in a lockdown and then they ended up switching all these songs. And now we got to start from scratch. Cause I gave them too much time to, yeah. to tinker with stuff. Right. So yeah. I wanted to get them in out done, but uh, yeah. that's not, not how it went. So yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, it's, fucking, it's rough, but speaking of your studio, man, that is quite the impressive build that you've done, man. Cause I remember seeing your old room and being impressed with that, with, uh, j- just all the acoustic treatment that you have on there and just like the professional look that you had to your drum room. Uh, and then you just like amped it up huge man how was that how's that that build and everything for you because i if i'm correct you built it out of your garage right yeah correct um, basically the i guess the story goes um the the old room that i've put up a ton of content out of is my is now my control room so i've got my uh, all my preamps and pro tools rig and max it up in here and I turned my garage into a, a live room and it's like just over nine foot tall ceiling. So it's a decent size ceiling and uh, a pretty good size room for drums, especially um, the heavier styles. And the process was, yeah, we got locked down last year. I just decided to uh, put some, some money I'd saved away and some investments that I'd, I'd, I'd cash in on to uh, just basically invest in myself and, and make a studio. So I just started building and during the lockdown spent, you know, all, all day, nearly every day uh, doing stuff. I had a hand in just about building everything involved in the studio from uh, the treatment to, you know, putting up all the drywall and, and just uh, I had to get some professionals in to give me a hand with, with some stuff, particularly the electronics side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took about it took about six months from start to finish. Uh, I had some delays because of the lockdown stuff and um, getting uh, specialists in, you know, like tradesmen and electricians and stuff was kind of hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, just the regulations and stuff that were just constantly on and off. But yeah, it got there at the end, and I'm very, 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 very uh, happy and stoked to have. The, the facility now it's 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 really really killer yeah man it it looks amazing i can't wait to hear some albums uh that uh come out of it as well and i know a good friend of mine uh is building a studio right now and that's a a big thing for him too it's it's taking forever oh my god trying to relate <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> Even just trying to schedule people so that you don't have guys showing up and working, like you can only have a certain amount of people working in a space at once. Oh, right. right. So, yeah. 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 yeah well, the, it's pretty crazy. Well, it's like, so that's the thing, too, is like a lot of the, the studio like restrictions here are usually like you can only have one one person who's tracking and then the one the one engineer. And uh, right. it, it's funny with, with a lot of studios is that they're primarily either they're very hyper focused on one on one genre or they just do every they do every and all things like i remember uh 
uh, like, you know, for uh, for Tyler, uh, a buddy of ours that's doing a has a studio here. He's been now recording like a like acoustic acts now. As aside from like the the death metal stuff and um, that's mono yeah, was, monolithic studios yeah, that's monolithic, and recordings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little shout was out that, there. Yeah. So was there? Um, so when when you're when you were building the studio, were you um, primarily thinking of it as like? as more of like this is going to cater to more metal acts or is it more um you wanted to kind of broaden out a bit more and like say like any kind of style style bands that you wanted to to throw in uh well my intent going into it was just uh first and foremost a a, a specialty drum tracking facility true so I, I kind of just went with that to begin with and then I just kept expanding and, you know, I can do reamping here and, and, you know, I've got some killer vocal mics and I, I've recorded full live bands here and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of just taken on a bit of a beast of its own in that regard. And I guess with my experience in, in doing heavy music, uh, that was first and foremost uh, a target audience of mine, obviously, uh, but it's definitely branched out quite a bit. You know, I've had some... I've had a blues band here, a live blues band, all played together doing live, and that was really cool. And I think oh, nice. the room is, yeah, I think the room's set up to accommodate um, a very wide range of, of of tones and and results that people are looking for. So I'm I'm quite happy. It's sort of modular to the room. I can remove some of the treatment if I need to, and I can add some more as well. And I've got some, you know, moving baffles and all that sort of stuff that I can you know, corner in an amp or shield around a drum kit to get some different sounds and whatnot. Oh, nice. So, yeah, no, it's just kind of cool because like if you're, if you're tracking like a, a death metal kit or something, you want it super tight. And so you want those extra baffles in there. But then if you're, if it's like some like rock or like blues or something, you want a little more of the room sound so you can take some of that away and you can, uh, get a different tone out of the room, which is super awesome. Because a lot of studios, it's either you know, it it's completely open or completely dead. So being able to find a kind of middle ground too is uh super cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think the awesome. room the room's everything. Oh, hundred percent, man. Yeah, it, it makes the biggest factor that and new skins. You know, it's amazing how many bands that come through that don't even think about putting new skins on. I'm like, just trust me. <laughs> Spend the money, uh, or even what skins? What skins they're putting? Yeah, on, you know? yeah, you know, yeah. like, like yeah. The, yeah. it matters so much. Like that's the one thing I, I, I have a very small room, so I try to deaden it as possible, as much as possible. And then I just use room samples, right? This room's not gonna sound good on its own. That's just fact. So I'm even uh, looking into other studios to track drums in for other projects and stuff, you know, even though like that was my main focus <laughs> with this, but <laughs> you know, whatever, it's all good. It's, but it's funny. I always found that like the, the Remo heads are usually like the most, like just from my own experience is like the Remo heads are the most versatile where it's just like emperor ambassador on the top and bottom. And just like, to me that it was always the deadliest combo, but you're, but for some reason for like a jazz gig, it's, it's, it goes awry for some reason. It's a little too thuddy for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Emperor Ambassador is just, you can't really go wrong, especially with maple drums. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a pretty consistent um, way to get good tone nearly every time. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm on actually on coded emperors at the moment. And I've just recently switched over. Oh, no way. Been using clear. Like, I've done every session I've done for like the last probably six years. I've used clear emperors and I've just recently started uh, messing around with, with the coders and I'm getting some really, really cool results. So I'm pretty keen to track something for myself with coded heads and see how it goes. Yeah. Cause the, um, cause you're with, uh, you're with Pearl, right? Yeah. Is it, uh, what series is it? Is it a, re- I've got, um, I've, I've owned, Almost probably just about every Pearl series, or pl- at least played on them, touring and whatnot. But I currently have two Masterworks kits and a, a Maple Gum, which is their new Master series. It's their new high-end Master series, which is, in my opinion, the best production line drum kit Pearl has made so far. Oh wow! Yeah, like, uh, good. what did you think about the the reference series? Have you have you got a chance to play on on one of those uh, on that series or reference? I love reference toms. Uh, the reference floor toms aren't my favorite from Pearl, and mm. I like the kick drums on the reference. Yeah, yeah, because I always I always find that like 
that tone is like it can be yeah no I, I agree on the toms it sounds really nice and not overly bright but it sounds really like it fills the space and then for some reason it's just like i could ne never get the toms quite right as i would with the rack no i i totally hear what you're saying yeah i mean i tracked i tracked a record in nashville last year and we had a reference kit i had a whole bunch of kits in there and we just used kind of what sounded good and we went with the reference rack toms 8 10 12 and we tried the reference floors, but just couldn't get them to sit right. Um, so we just threw on the old school Ma Masters Maple with reinforcement rings, 14, 16. And they came up really, really good. Oh, nice. Ran the, yeah, the Masters floor toms, the reference uh, rack toms. And I'm pretty sure we ran with reference kicks as well. Do you, do you find that often kind of mixing, matching different series is for it, you kind of get the best result of it? Or do you find that sticking with one specific series is kind of the uh, the way to go when it comes to doing any sort of uh, recording session? Well, uh, when it comes to, to tracking, um, and I'm sure we've all been through this before, but I can, I can relate to this when I was younger, is like you buy this new kit and it costs you a lot of money and you just like, you want to use it no matter what, no matter what the engineer says, no matter what yeah. anyone <laughs> says. Like I spent all this money, you tell me I can't use my kit because it sucks, like what the hell? <laughs> so I, I've just tried to uh, guide artists that come in and, and they give me an idea of what they're going for and I obviously provide all my uh, backline here that, it, that they can use. And quite often we have like a Tetris kind of drum kit going on. I had a band in a couple of weeks ago that had, I think we had four different uh, brands of drums. We had a Yamaha 18 inch floor tom, had a reference rack tom, one of my masterwork toms, and we used my Tama Bellbrass snare. And it came up really cool. It was really cool. So I just think whatever's best for the project. And if you can put your, I guess your, um, ego or your, the purchase of your expensive drums aside and just trying to focus on what is going to work for your for your project the best no totally like um i always found that when um i guess i guess it also like going back it also depends on the the room as well because like primarily through the lockdown i've been slowly trying to learn how to how to kind of mic my own setup and just try and figure it out and just feels like I could never get it the right way I always wanted to do. So I was always kind of curious what would be the first step to making such a, uh, like a good baseline for when you're starting to, to track drums uh, by your, by yourself. By yourself. Yeah. Um, well, miking position, as you said, it's, it's massive. It's huge, especially on bigger kits. Um, and I use for two of my projects, a, a quite a big kit. And so getting the, especially like the snare mic in a good position to not get too much hi-hat bleed, you've got to try and find where it's not going to get too much hi-hat bleeding into it. So you need to find the good amounts of rejection. Um, your mic choices as well are pretty big. And I've, I've been A and B heaps of different mics on all my different drums and um, just finding what I like and what I don't like. Because I guess there's no right or wrong, you know, at the end of the day with, with what, with what you do which is kind of cool with music it's just all personal preference so i just go by what sounds good for me and so i just basically like start off with a smaller drum kit mic it up see what works well maybe go with one overhead and then work your way up to two overheads and then start micing up the snare and then try with the kick and just experimenting i think putting time into experimenting is what's going to give you some knowledge and and results true yeah and i always um I was also curious though, because I was asking a couple of um, engineer friends of mine that when every time they, they do any sort of kind of like extreme metal or like tech death or anything like that, a lot of the time they kind of experiment with mesh heads. And um, I, don't, I don't know if, if you have any, um, would you rec uh, recommend for like somebody who doesn't want to like deal with any sort of bleed into the mics at all to, to kind of experiment with mesh heads? Or do you think that's kind of... Yes. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. Especially on kicks. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're not kind of, well, if you, if you're going to do quantizing and editing, I, I'd definitely say just use a pad or the mesh mesh on the kicks. Um, I personally don't never want to substitute, um, real drums for, for like full on samples. Like I think samples have their place, but I'm a big advocate for getting the, the drum drum sounding good before the microphone, mm -hmm. like the biggest um, key factor is making your drum sound killer before it goes to the microphone. And quite often, you know, kicks are, you know, it's really hard to be super precise all the time and, and no one's perfect. But if you, if you're either not confident with the project or maybe a little inexperienced with 
with that style, I definitely recommend just using a kick pad or um, mesh head. And I've done both, and I've done both recently in the last few years. It just works. The clients also have, especially if I'm doing session stuff, the clients, I like to give them the option to alter kick patterns in post. So they might, mm-hmm. you know, I might send the drums back to them and they might want to change a uh, kick rhythm and they can do it easily if I'm using a pad or mesh heads and they've got the flexibility to even, I guess, write even after they've received the drums because typically drums are, are tracked first. So a lot of uh, artists I've worked with really uh, like that flexibility. Yeah, I actually just recently recorded uh, an EP for a band out of um, Long Island. And that was one of the big things. I I, I had to use pads because I knew that they were going to want to change things. They gave me like a week to learn the songs and, and track them, right? So Yeah, it's tough. And, and they were being very, very... Um, meticulous about yeah. it being as close to the midi drums they had written and right, yeah. uh for the most part uh guitar players uh don't get don't go nuts with your midi drum writing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh... basic, basic beats like however you want the feel to be okay fine but like they just ended up getting like so uh attached to these drum parts and i knew it so i just i just used a pad and it worked out perfect i just sent them midi and away you go they were super happy with it and and that's that right and honestly i love it when i was actually listening back to it i was like oh this is amazing like there's no kick bleed in the room mics or anything like that. It's just, uh, it's, it's a lot easier to work with from an engineering standpoint, especially once you get down to the mix. Right. So definitely, definitely. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, most metal stuff is heavily sampled on the kicks anyway. And if you're doing super busy, um, metal stuff with a lot of kick drum, uh, just having that, um, extra headroom in your in your mix and in your in your sessions and it just takes away the editing procedure too like getting rid of kick drums and overheads when you're editing that's um very time consuming so i think a lot of people maybe have a bit think it's cheating or think it's a uh frowned upon or whatever but you know it's i just see this whatever gets needs to get the job done that's it man like <laughs> i don't know i don't I don't see anything anymore as as cheating. <laughs> Honestly, it's, a, it's a crazy word. The fact that we even have to use that word is crazy. Like, what is cheating? Like, yeah. cheating would be loading a, a, a like on the Matrix. You know, they load a cartridge and you just learn how to fly a helicopter. Like, maybe that's cheating. I don't know. <laughs> You've literally got to put the hours in to to get that sound, whether that, whatever that velocity of the sound is, whether it's you know set to ten all the time or whatever. But it's still takes a hell of a lot of work. It feels like it's it's the opposite of cheating though, because it's like when you when you use triggers though, it, it's it kind of it makes your your playing a lot more obvious, and you have to be so so tight to uh to a a grid in order to really kind of hear the consistency of the kicks. Like it feels like if you have just a regular kick mic just thrown in, like a regular sure mic, you can kind of get away with playing. Uh, a little sloppy because you're just going to hear a lot of the bottom end as opposed to a as opposed to a trigger you're just going to hear you know the click of the uh, the click of the sample and if it's not um and if your kicks are slightly off you're going to really those kicks being off are going to really be noticeable right so it's like very exposing yeah no exactly it feels like if that was if that's considered cheating then plugging in an electric guitar you know that's not normally a <laughs> the sound that that comes out of it though so when you use an amp is that considered cheating because that's not the natural sound of the instrument are we really going to have the the triggers or cheating debate come on i think we're i think we're a little past that yeah yeah like i i i agree i mean it's so exposing using triggers and it's the, 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 as you said the the transient size with the trigger is tiny so the note spacing between every note it takes a lot more detail and attention to detail as opposed to, as you said, using microphone where it's a bigger, longer, lower end transient. And you can almost, it's, it's almost like appearing to be maybe tighter than w- what it is. So you can get away with a little bit more without um, people's ears popping up and, and start to question <laughs> your ability. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely man. Man. Like switching to triggers, it, it just instantly uh, either 
makes you want to quit or <laughs> tightens up your playing like that. Nuts. Yeah. Like if, if you're not, if you're playing extreme music and you're not, um, uh, triggering your kicks at least at the very least in, in rehearsals or like in your ears so you can hear it, then, you know, like if you want to go like raw dog it to front of house and that's fine, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, that's true. But yeah, overall, it just it keeps you keeps you tight as hell, man. Um, but like speaking, I know this is going back a bit, but speaking a little bit about you being in the studio and in in Nashville, um, I assume that is for a new Neobliviscaris record. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, this was like just before lockdown. Uh, hit and everything so about like a year and a half or so ago. Uh, yeah it was i was in the studio as the world was falling apart <laughs> Fuck. basically yeah it was nuts like it was one of the most surreal experiences i've ever had um myself and mike lewis who was uh, tracking and engineering it were literally between takes like i'd get messages from my buddies and they're like man i was just like got a whole tour canceled like we just lost tens of thousands of dollars in merch you know, because all these, I, I had one buddy who, who he plays in Viardi's Murder, and I remember chatting to him, and they played one show, maybe two, and they obviously, you know, you know how much money's involved in like getting the deposits for buses, getting all your merch pre-done, which you've got to pay for up front. That's not like some kind of lending system we're using. It's just like tens and tens of thousands of dollars, you know, to play two shows and fly home. Yeah, that's just so brutal. So we just constantly got messages like that. Like Mark lost a bit of work. Um, I started to question whether or not I was even going to get home. Um, it was just nuts. So the, it was such a surreal experience. So that album for me is always going to be like the soundtrack of doom. Yeah. <laughs> Are you looking around like, fuck Nashville? If the world actually like came to an end, the, I don't know. It wouldn't be that terrible of a place, right? Yeah, I, I've never ever, <laughs> put I, it that I, way. Yeah, I've never I wish been, I had that perspective then. Yeah, I don't think I, I've never been to Nashville, but it's uh, it's Tennessee, so I assume they're just like cowboys and there's guns everywhere and people. <laughs> on, music. Yeah, right. So like you know, yeah, I, I I think you could get by. Like it'd be it'd be a riot, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that was a, a killer experience though, and that really um, it really uh motivated me and inspired me to 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 tackle my studio back home because the experience there was just nothing like i'd ever experienced it was i've tracked in quite a few studios over the years but uh nashville's just on another level of professionalism and attention to detail and the quality of people you're working with is just it was very eye-opening to say the least yeah mm -hmm. i was actually i was curious um you know, during uh, since you're recording in in Nashville, you know, in between, I guess um, the the Earn record and and this new one uh, you guys recorded, I was I was curious to know what kind of new techniques and new um, like either practice routines or any sort of new sticking you were kind of experimenting with uh, for this for this upcoming release. I was kind of you know curious to know what what uh new thing that you wanted to incorporate into your playing going into uh this recording session yeah i, I spent probably uh before i did that album was probably the, the busiest i'd ever or the most amount of time i'd spent playing drums i think ever so i was playing like a lot and i put more work into that new neo record than anything i've ever done before in terms of preparation and i did like two or three pre-productions for it at home so I went pretty full on with it and tried to implement uh, some things that were new to me. I uh, went and got some drum lessons with some drummers that I really love and tried to steal some of their <laughs> some of their ideas and incorporate it and into you know my own little uh, style. So definitely some uh, new stickings. I spent a lot spent a lot of time on pads, just going through stick control and some of that stuff. Uh, came through. Do you find that the uh, like the stick control? Like, um, do you think you always kind of figure that as like? I know it's always the the uh, the drummer's bible that's always kind of been uh, kind of thrown around. Do you do you kind of agree with that, or do you think there's a there's another book that is just as equal to that one? I mean, it's. I just think it's got everything. Uh, it, it literally has everything. Like, it, it has every sticking, and then it has every sticking inverted. 
And then I, I just do simple things like uh, I'll just add a, a kick in randomly. So instead of hitting my right hand or left hand or whatever, I'll just throw a kick note in there. And then all of a sudden you've got patterns and fills and it's just, it's endless, really. Like the first three pages could keep a drummer busy their whole life, really. Yeah. It's nuts, you know. And then when you get onto the syncopation and, and the more crazier it gets, it's it's just, it's a mind-blowing book, really. It's like, it, it really is the Bible, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, uh, yeah, like that one in syncopation as well, like kind of going back and forth, it's, yeah, you can definitely come up with some really killer stuff from uh, from just by just doing the, uh, you know, even just the sight reading. But I always find it like I always find it <laughs> difficult to to try and do the uh, the sight reading. It's just like, oh, crap. Uh, right yeah, it's challenging. Yeah, I'm not the best at it either, but um, I, I do set the metronome pretty low and just try and sight read down, like down the lines as I go. And I'm not very good at it, but that's definitely something I, I need to work on is is the ability to transfer what I'm reading to my limbs. I need to learn how to uh, sight read just in general. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, I, I'm, I'm in awe of working drummers who can do it flawlessly and play t- with a high level of detail. That really blows my mind because I'm not good at that. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. I, I'm just like when I'm writing or preparing for something, I just put brutal hours of repetition in. And that's kind of how I've done what I do but I, I really would like to have that uh, added to my repertoire now when you're writing for um, new material do you literally just like they'll the guys will send you uh, guitar tracks or whatever and then you sit down at your kit and just kind of play through some stuff and loop stuff or do you actually like write out MIDI drums for it and work out fills on the computer before actually getting behind your kit everything i do is just behind the kit i i, I can't really program or anything like that mm-hmm. um but uh generally speaking with neo with a lot of the stuff with jam and a lot of the stuff is sent just by email because there's like three countries involved in that band so it's hard to get everyone together so a lot of stuff is done online uh but ge- generally speaking my process for writing is i have uh, pro tools set up on the computer next to me and i just loop riffs mm-hmm. and i'll play riffs for like an hour at a time like literally just an hour and i figure out where the accents are where where i think things need to be accented or or you know velocities and i just figure out something on my hands and then i figure out something on my feet and then i try and put it together and i'll record it see how it sounds and then um eventually move on to another riff and just then try and gel the whole track together at the end yeah, it's that that repetition is so necessary. I I find it so hard sometimes because I'm the same way. I I find it difficult to do MIDI drums and actually like when I write MIDI drums and then I go to play it, I'm like, oh no, that like I I'm scrapping that all of that. <laughs> like this is how right, I'm doing yeah. it. Cause, cause it's yeah. just, it doesn't have the same feel. I I can I'm never able. I have to write it on my kit and then sit down and I can I can put it in afterwards. Right. But it needs to be written while I'm actually playing. And uh, I I always find it difficult like looping shorter parts. I always have to like I'll play through a song for an hour, but it's usually it's like the full song. I got to get better at like okay, just the intro and just like that like. 20 seconds and just go over that because i think that Mm -hmm. will be a huge benefit to actually like dialing in the minute details but uh, my like add gets the best of me and i'm like (laughs) no i want to play the whole fucking song like let's go i feel that yeah i I used to have that exact same uh workflow and my workflow has changed in the last few years where now I, i i literally repeat riffs for you know between 30 minutes and an hour just figuring out what's going on with the riff. Um, and I like to see if I can, if the guitarists can send me what they're playing too, because I, I can't explain why, but I like to look what kind of what their fingers are doing on the fretboard too. Somehow influences my uh, creative output somewhat, somehow. Hmm, so I ask for that if possible. Yeah, ask for that yeah. if possible. And otherwise I just, yeah, put a lot of repetition, a lot of repetition. Yeah. yeah. Are are you a guitarist as well? Do you play, or is it just just drums? Is your only main? Uh, I'd love to be able to call myself a guitarist, but I mean, I can barely get past Metallica riffs. So, 
Oh, dude, Metallica is not easy to play, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the old stuff I could not play, no. The crazy yeah. thrash stuff, but, you know, I can't get much past, like, power chords and and um, nice, steady rock <laughs> Yeah, okay. kind of riffs, yeah. Dude, I tried to learn Master of Puppets more recently and, like, right. as, as, like, a goal, and, like, I'm not even close yet. Like, No, it's, no, it's, it's, it's brutal so stuff, hard. but I... I, I like Metallica stuff both on drums and guitar because it's such a it's such a good fundamental thing to learn, I think, especially if you're interested in heavy music. Oh yeah, definitely. It's got everything. Oh, for sure. And th- honestly, the the older I get, the more I I appreciate the uh load and reload era. The oh, yeah. late nineties uh metallica stuff the more i yeah. like that like just it, yeah it's it's just hard rock realistic yeah man but it's it's, it's great it's fantastic it's catching and the productions at next level it's some of my favorite productions ever yeah uh, i've actually got the snare off the black album i have that snare that exact that, that exact model oh, oh amazing oh, wow. yeah i got the, the 82 bell brass the og oh Ooh. That's a heavy snare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite heavy. I've got a few bell brass snares, but this one's like it's like it's ridiculous. It's so good. Is that is that the um have you have you used that one um at all for any any uh sessions recently or is it kind of um uh sorry, I just lost my train of thought there for a second. I was just thinking about the heaviness of that snare. <laughs> <laughs> It'll do that. It gets used, man. Um it's I, I use that thing nearly every day. Um, I recorded the new Vipassi album with that snare. Uh, most clients that come through pick that snare when we go through an A-B stuff. It, it wins probably eight and a half times out of ten. And it's, yeah, I, I think it's perhaps for, for, for what it's used for in the heaviest rock and metal stuff, it's it's probably the, the, the best, in my opinion, uh, the best snare there is. Now, I, I know with like Metallica's like snare sound choices i know a lot of a lot of people kind of go to the the saint anger one as kind of like a one to to kind of i was almost yeah (laughs) so i was actually i was actually gonna ask like um do you think the saint anger snare sound is really all that bad because i see like you know the deathcore bands use it all the time and it kind of works for and it works for that specific style so i think in context with metallica because metallica have you know, world renowned, some of the best heavy productions to ever to ever exist. So to come from the the master master puppets, the black album, and the load and reload stuff is actually exceptional production. Um, to go to San Anger, I think it got such a a negative feedback because people are coming from you know coming from literally the best productions of all time to something that's very, very different. And I can't blame Metallica for, for, for ex- experimenting a bit. Um, maybe they got it a bit wrong. I, I don't know, but they've sold more <laughs> records than any of us. So I can't really argue with them. Well, I mean, like that's, I mean, that's the, the thing, right. Is like experimenting, right. Is it's just basically, uh, you know, you never want to run, you never want to run the risk of kind of repeating the same thing. And then, you know, kudos Anybody that wants to experiment their playing and broaden their their musical vocabulary, I think, is is a very commendable thing because it's really it's it's quite easy to kind of absolutely. Uh, well, that's to, art. To, yeah, you know, experimenting is art, and and that's if you, if you're an artist, you 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 want to push and you want to discover and you want to express and find new ways to express. So I think that's natural as an artist to to yeah try and try and discover. And I think the challenge, especially in modern music is where there are uh there are uh things that work for certain bands that have sold them records so they want to stick to that theme or what they've done because they know it works and i think the hard thing is if you've found something that works it's kind of hard to vary from that because then you've got the fear of the unknown was will it be accepted will we sell as many records will we get you know the tour opportunities we, we did have so it's, it's kind of i think difficult in this modern day and age because it's so cutthroat yeah, it's. Do you think that people often they doubt themselves often when when it comes to kind of their artistic vision? Like if they're so passionate about something, like and they they're afraid that it's not going to be like the most commercially like driven thing. Do you think that often artists themselves just kind of doubt themselves, even though 
if they show it to any, if they show it to anybody else, the, the immediate response is like, this is freaking sick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think definitely. Um, I think one of, one of the things that can cripple an artist or not cripple an artist is, is whether or not you listen to outside noise, you know, and I think if you look at the most successful artists or people you really look up to as artists or admire, uh, you, you'll tend to find that those people are incredibly unique and they stick to what, uh, what is them, you know, and they, they, they don't find a formula or stick to a, to a, a formula and you know you look at the michael jacksons you look at the metallicas you look at um all these incredible mega platinum selling artists they're all massively unique and they didn't follow a trend they didn't uh listen to people they didn't you know they just did them and they were so confident in what they did and that makes a, a in my opinion that makes a, a a product very powerful if someone believes in it and they put a lot of time into it and they're uncompromisingly themselves then you're going to have a product that is unique no, absolutely. I will say though, all those artists you listed, they've had such long careers that they didn't just stick to one specific sound throughout all that time, right? So, like, obviously, we all know Metallica has changed their sounds over over the years and the decades, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But and Saint Anger was them coming back to. Uh, faster heavier more thrash sound like that yeah, yeah, that, I, that saying anger album was it, it kind of took people uh like like back a little bit because since the black album they haven't since before the black album which was their their biggest record uh they haven't really done anything that was like super fast and aggressive and in your face and then this comes out and it was like true. holy shit like, yeah that's true since they were in literally like the public eye, they haven't released music that was that aggressive. Um, That's true. Yeah. And I just think that it probably would have dated uh, like, like lasted a little longer if that snare didn't, if they just <laughs> the snare one way along. Yeah, man. It's like the most controversial, <sighs> controversial uh, artistic decision that's ever been made. <laughs> oh, no, it's crazy. But, but, like it's been memes to death. It's so famous, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. It's like where where were you on the day that they decided to turn the snare wires off? Yeah. Uh, I I, <laughs> I, can't, I remember when I first heard it. A, a buddy, I'm sure a buddy of mine called me and he was like, "Dude, you have to check the new Metallica. You're not going to believe it." And I was like, "Oh, all right, cool. Like, <laughs> what are we in for? You know, let's buckle up." And I went and brought it and um, put it on, and I was like, "I was just again, I guess with everyone, the snare just is just like, what the hell." This is this is weird, but I guess over the years I just became, I guess, used to it, and now it's not as weird. But I do get, I do get how it got so much attention. It's just it's bizarre. Yeah. Well, I remember. Um, I I actually didn't play drums back when that was released, but I remember the drummer in my band being like, "Wow, like Lars must have taken lessons because." Like that's that's, right. that's some yeah. pretty intense drumming he's doing. I mean, like, yeah, well, yeah, you're right. Like he did. He he stepped it up, man. He he brought his A game to that, and uh, yeah, just that. Whatever. You know what? That snare is is legendary for the good or bad, regardless. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you can't hate on them because they've sold more records than all of us combined. So yeah, more than anyone, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but all those artists, and then even if you look at like uh, like bands like Judas Priest, like those guys, they set the trends, you know, like oh, in the 80s, 100%. you know, 100%. And even even leading into the '90s and everything, like they made artistic decisions that they were confident in, and that confidence uh, led to a change in like bands across the board want yeah, to they sound, sound like, like them absolutely know? so and i think that it, it, it's just having that confidence to do it because if you do something that you're hesitant about you're gonna hear it right and i think that that goes that goes down to like just to your playing not even to your songwriting and everything but um but your your playing in general i think just having that that confidence in what you're doing uh yeah it's really, conviction conviction yeah and that goes to live and studio right? absolutely yeah man yeah that's that's why a lot of drummers have to be sampled because they lack conviction yeah oh 100 well, yeah let's say i think that's the reason why like a lot of like 
progressive metal is so intriguing is because you can get away with basically throwing everything in the kitchen sink and it's like you're able you're encouraged to kind of go outside the box and be as chaotic and and as uh random as possible so to so to speak and i think that's the reason why it's like it's such an intriguing genre to to drummers is because you it it thrives on you trying to push the creative boundaries that that is limitless in this in that subgenre yeah that's definitely true uh, it's one of the reasons why i enjoy uh, playing progressive uh, music is is I guess there's a, a listener would have less of an expectation as opposed to if you're putting on a deathcore record you, you know you know what you're going to get with deathcore there's no really escaping the deathcore genre it's you know you get your breakdowns it's heavy blast beats and all that stuff and probably it's like you can combine anything but the listener is sort of they know what they're getting into you know they're going to have some unexpected and I like the challenge of the creative challenge to be a part of that, I guess, and be able to label yourself a progressive musician. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's one thing that really like stands out from like when I've saw, when I saw you play in, in Toronto, uh, the last time with, with winter sun, I remember seeing, seeing the way that you do all of a sudden you do all these like crazy fast, intense blast beats. And then you have these kind of jazz interludes get thrown in and it's just so effortless that, that you like, you just basically make it so musical to the point where it's just like you have two genres that kind of have two different extremes and the way that you're able to blend both of those styles together. I was like completely blown away by, by that. It's, it's, you got some freaking killer chops, dude. I must say. <laughs> very kind. Very kind. I do remember that show in Toronto. That was at the, uh, the opera house. Yeah. 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 yeah I do remember that show actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, Canada's always good, man. It's um, probably one of our stronger countries that we play. Like, it's really consistent everywhere, and everyone is super nice and cool and, and, and welcoming. And it's a great place to play. And I sure do. Uh, I sure do miss playing over there. It's um, it's it's funny when I when I was listening to um, basically I went through my my Spotify playlist, my iTunes library, and I was looking through all of the the progressive bands that i that i listened to and i found out that about 90 percent of them are from australia <laughs> and, and and i was curious to know like why why do you think progressive metal is such a strong subgenre within australia yeah it's an interesting question i actually it's kind of a common question i've had through interviews of the last few years um, there does seem to be quite a surge of of prog bands from australia and actually really good ones and I, I'm honestly not sure, but I guess there's just a bit of a, a scene has developed here with progressive music, and it's it's kind of really flourished. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great bands. What what is what are some of your favorite uh, Aussie punk bands? Oh, like uh, let's see, uh, Caligula's Horse, uh, you guys for sure. Um, uh, I'd say Voyager, Alarum, uh, Pliny. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Who who else? Um, uh, uh, Dead Letter Circus, Twelve Foot Ninja. Nice, um, yeah, cool. Uh, man, there's some. Um, I'll have to look up the uh, look up the other ones, but those are the ones I can list off the top of my head. But I know there's more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they're all killer bands. Um, really, really killer. So yeah, the the scene is quite strong here. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get back to playing show soon. Yeah, is there is there because um, you pretty much toured with every prog prog band from from Australia, right? Is there is there still one like left that you guys always wanted to travel with that you haven't haven't played with yet? Uh, maybe Carnival. I don't know if you know Carnival. Oh, Carnival! Oh man, that would be ins an insane show. I've 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 never played with those guys. I actually don't, don't even know the guys in that band. Um, but they're from like the other way over the other side of Australia, like way out west. I'm from east. And uh, I've seen them live a few times, and they're one of my favorite Aussie bands. I'd love to play with those dudes. Oh, that would be an insane bill. Like you guys, I think would suit would suit Carnival really well. Yeah, yeah. Steve's an incredible drummer too. He's, that guy is nuts. He's so good. Oh man, the groove the grooves that he makes in Symmetry that record was just crazy. How how cool cool it was. It, yeah, his phrasing is is absolutely deadly. So good. Yeah, no, it's 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 fu it's funny though because it's like any sort of prog band that that starts that starts to really emerge, it's like either they're either from Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, 
and it, it just it's like I like I wish we had that scene in Canada because it feels like we like we do have like a lot of we do have some we do have some good prog prog acts I mean but it feels like we don't have as strong of a scene in Canada as we do in Australia for Prague. I know we have a big thrash scene here. I think that's kind of like the go-to one for at least for our province. But uh, but yeah. So hopefully uh, hopefully one day it, the the Prague uh, the Prague band start emerging a lot more. <laughs> well, I think a lot a lot of the Prague bands here are kind of just underground and they never make it above ground type of deal you know like there's a lot of great uh like progressive rock and 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 progressive metal bands but they never make it past the kind of local scene so So, you know just from the list of australian prog bands that you guys mentioned that are well known you know like that, that i think that's the the difference is that uh you're progressive metal bands have actually made it outside of your country <laughs> rather than ours uh don't make it outside of the the city they're from so yeah that's that's tough to do that's very tough to do yeah man it's dude it's it's not easy and a lot of people just get stuck in their local scene and that that's it they're local heroes and they are scared to test their metal and and hit the road like for you guys touring is quite the feat to get outside of Australia. Christ, it's crazy. It's, and it's, there's six of us in the band, you know, plus crew. So, and no, like, for example, when we tour the US, you know, there's, there's visas involved. We're going to pay for these visas. So before we even hit the US, we're down like tens of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. So not only is it uh, logistically difficult, it's financially uh, very anxious. <laughs> you know, you don't know how your tour is going to go. Um, you know, you've got to hit certain quotas to... to you know, at least get some profit so we can go home and, and um, eat before the next tour, you know? Yeah. I Man, I remember our, um, our first big uh, tour in the States where we actually had proper visas and everything. We we hopped the border a couple of times to do a couple of yeah, shows. But, yeah. um, and <laughs> we got to the first show and it was like a bust. <laughs> like the show is terrible and we're like fuck i i really got to make sure i got work when i get back home because <laughs> if this is how this tour is gonna go like fuck man because it costs us like not not 10 grand or anything like you guys with flights and everything because we uh are we're able to drive obviously but uh like we left from toronto and the first show was in la like we have to drive to the Holy opposite shit. side of the of the continent, so it was like dead by the time we got there. Yeah, four days straight, man. And we got our we literally were supposed to get our visas on the Sunday, but we didn't get them till Monday morning. And we literally had we our first show was think was Thursday, and oh LA. boy. So and then like merch didn't show up, and like it was a whole yeah. oh, no. stress. Yeah, yeah, total stress. And then first time being in, in, in California is like fucking what a mess, but it dude, it was, it was a crazy fun tour and the rest of the tour went amazing and fantastic. And it was just that warm up show was, was awful. And it's it's scary, man. It is. It is. is. Yeah. 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 So are you going to actually look forward to, uh, touring again and doing like, uh, 30 hours of travel. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd love to. I miss it. Uh, it's, it was uh, touring and traveling was, you know, two of my favorite things put into one. So it's uh, something that's sorely missed out of my life for sure. So would very much welcome uh, the prospect of touring again. We've had to cancel. Um, oh, man, we've had to cancel dozens of shows, probably like 70 or 80 shows now, probably been canceled. So it's, it's, it's nuts. So, um, I don't even think we've got anything booked at the moment. I saw an email the other day. There's talk of going to Europe, but I mean, we just canceled a tour that was meant to happen next month, like six months ago. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's not an easy situation. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I, it's so tough because I, I scroll through like my news feed and I see one band that's saying, Oh, like 
we're halfway through a tour and half our members have COVID. So the rest of the tour is. Oh, canceled. really? Yeah. Holy yeah. Shit. Uh, I actually just saw um, this band from uh, the States. They're from Portland, Oregon, uh, the Bridge City Sinners. They just released an album, hit the road. They got tested a week in and half their members have COVID. Non symptomatic. Oh, but, but they're like, we have to cancel the rest of the tour. Oh, my God. You know? And they had some big, like, kind of like festival shows and stuff lined up like that on it, too. It's like total fucking bummer. And they got like $10,000 worth of merch just sitting there now. So if you, if you like the Bridge City Centers, go help them out. Go buy some merch. You know? Oh, hell yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're killer, like, uh, folk punk act. But, Anyways, and then, then, then I see this other um, this this other band announcing tours, and then I see another band canceling a tour for a month from now, and it's just like holy shit, wow. like, like what what is happening? Like nobody knows what the fuck's going on. No, that's the scary part. There's no certainty whatsoever. Mm-hmm. At least where I live, everything's. I mean, I, I I personally switch off the news. I'm done. I'm tapped out. I just live my life now. But um, every time I get an email from our manager or agents, it's just, it's, it's, everything's constantly changing, you know, one minute. Yeah. yeah, cool. It looks good. The next minute. No, it's canceled. It's just, it's, it's just playing with people's, um, mental health. I, I think it's just like, it's deadly. Yeah. At this point, it's like, until you're on the plane, until until you're oh, yeah. backstage after the show, you don't think it's actually going to happen. I believe it when I see it. Yeah, until you actually hit that intro and you're like, okay, we get to play a show now. Perfect. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> until then, it's, dude, anything could happen. You could actually be at the venue and it gets canceled. Like, I'm sure yeah, that, that'll happen to some people, man. Unfortunately, it probably will. Yeah, it's a fucking crazy, crazy world we live in, man. But uh, It is. It's getting crazy by the day. Yeah, and everybody thought it would just come and go like the fucking breeze, but... Uh, Nah, man. If you look back in the past too, with other pandemics, man, there's been some that last fifty years. You know, yeah, right. it just it 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 takes time. And since we're we're all so divided and pinned against each other right now, it's uh it's hard for everybody to come together to come up with a common solution for all yeah. of this, so to speak. Divide right? is real. That's yeah. for yeah. sure. Oh, oh, big time. An observation, it's very sad to see the divide, you know, it's one thing I think is is holding, um, especially us artists back, is is the divide and people buying into the the divide as well, which is sad to see, but, um, you know, everyone's free to live their life as they wish, so. I think there's, that's the reason, like, why, like, music right now is more, is now more important than ever, just because now it's, it's a way, because I know anytime listening to any sort of extreme bands to get out aggression. And you see that a lot of extreme bands now, especially during, um, during the lockdowns have started to really implement a lot of uh, more frustration in the lyrics that are coming from more of a personal stance rather than just kind of a character thing. You start to really kind of relate to that, the, the, you know, relate to the artists more because of their, of the, you hear like the more of a grit in their voice now as compared to like, previous records yeah no it just feels like during the time now like practicing is and then playing music is now more important than ever because man (laughs) practicing can can really help with a lot of mental health stresses and yeah for sure and so i think in turning out i mean i can't speak for everyone but uh, turning off the outside world and really focusing on what makes you happy is probably a more sound decision at the moment than constantly fighting over the um the issues that are just going to constantly divide people. Oh no, totally, absolutely, absolutely, man. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, uh, looks like we're we're running out of time here. But um, one thing I just wanted to ask you about is uh, ca- when when do you think we can expect uh, this new Neo uh, record to be released? You got any uh, details on it? Or uh... Uh, I wish I did. Um, it's getting mixed at the moment. And there's huge delays on uh, pressings of finals and and uh, merch in general. And um, we'll hopefully get it out this year. And I got the news recently; it won't be out this year, so I'm kind of bummed on that. But um, yeah, next year at some point, it's it's just started getting mixed now. 
So you can probably formulate a bit of a time frame yourself there of, of, of what's going to happen. Uh, but I don't have any, any there's no like dates or anything. Um, and the, the new Vipassi record I did is in the same process being mixed by the same guy actually. Oh, wow. Mark Lewis is doing both records, eh? Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. He, he's, uh, he's definitely put out some of the, uh, most the heaviest albums in the last decade. So I'm sure it's yeah, in good hands. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Mark working with Mark. He's, uh, he's a top, top dude and, um, uh, he's, he's deadly at what he does. And it's a pleasure to work with him and an honor, really. Well, it's excellent. I, I just want to say uh, thank you for coming on, talking to us here. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a, a pleasure, man. It's been uh, awesome uh, getting to hear your thoughts on all this uh, drumming chat, man. Dude, thanks for having me. It's, it's, I'm very uh, humbled that you'd, you'd, you'd ask me. So thank you. Absolutely. And when that new uh, record eventually comes out, man, we'll have to get you back on so we can, we can talk about that a little more. Cause I, yeah, that sounds I'm, good to me. Awesome. All right. Take care, man. Sick. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're feeling especially kind, we would love it if you would share this with a friend or two. If you have any comments, questions, or even suggestions for future shows, please let us know. You can fire us a message, and we'll do our best to get back to you. Catch you next time.